Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Less of us, more of you. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So Hebrews, as we've talked about, first century Jews, many of them had become born-again Christians, had given their life to Jesus Christ. And there was this drawing back into Judaism. There was this sense of something was missing because they didn't have all the rituals anymore. And so this book was written uh, by the author, I believe the Apostle Paul, but we don't know for sure, but it was written to basically tell the Jews that Jesus is enough and that Jesus is better. The entire book is on the supremacy of Christ. So we've seen that he's better than the prophets, he's better than the angels, he's better than Moses. We talked about entering into his rest. And then last week we talked about a call to spiritual maturity in Hebrews chapter 6. First, to go beyond the basics. We should not be satisfied with saved souls. You know, we want to be born again, and we want to live lives that have an impact on eternity. You know, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so we want to go beyond just being, you know, having the get out of hell free card in our wallet, just being, you know, having our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those things are amazing, but that's the beginning of our walk. That should be the finish line. Talked about the consequences, uh, grasping the consequences of rejecting Jesus. This week, I had a guy call me on the phone in the middle of the week on the church phone, and I answered it. It was during my work hours. I answered it, and he said, oh, if you're struggling with trouble and difficulty, and if you're having a hard time, I got a great website I want to send you to that'll bring you peace, and it's jw.org. That's the Jehovah's Witnesses. So I said, oh, you're a Jehovah's Witness. He said, oh, yes, I am. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you because you need Jesus, bro. And not the Jesus that you believe in, but the true, the Jesus that is God who you, you deny. And bro, let me just say, and he goes, well, I, want, I said, look, I don't have time for this. I'm at work right now. Well, let me just tell you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. You're involved in a cult. You need to get saved. And calling me 50 times, I'm going to get you into heaven. I'm just telling you right now. Can I get an amen to that? But the point I'm making is that we need to recognize there's consequences to rejecting Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And that's why I don't like to talk about God as much as I talk about Jesus, because God can be anybody, but it's Jesus who's the way to, to heaven. Amen? We also talked about a life that bears fruit. A spiritually mature life has belief that is reflected in our behavior. Guys, it's not just what we believe, it's how we behave that shows whether or not we really know the Lord. And then we saw perseverance in the midst of persecution and temptation. Anybody get tempted this week besides me? Get tempted? So with every temptation, we talk about this, it's an opportunity to grow or an opportunity to fall. With every temptation, Satan, by the way, God doesn't tempt you, Satan does, Amen. But he cannot tempt you beyond what you're able. You can, you can turn away from it. God makes a way of escape. So every time you, re, you walk away from the devil, right, when you reject it, you grow. And if you fall for it, again, it's a struggle and you need to repent. So now we're going to pick up with the last point of Hebrews chapter 6 and the last seven verses there, or last 17 verses, excuse me, uh, talking about just the it's actually seven verses. This is wrong on here. So the, talking about laying hold of the hope and promises that we have in Jesus. Laying hold of the hope that we have in Jesus. Is stuff going on in the world right now? Yes. Anybody been paying attention to the news at all about what's going on in Israel? Yes. Uh, here's the good news. God wins. Can I get an amen? Yes. And does God have his hand on Israel? 
Uh, isn't it amazing how Israel is the size of New Jersey? And it's in the news always because God said so. Can I get an amen? So that's God's place. That's God, when, whenever I'd go to Israel, the, I remember the, the tour guide said, well, you can pray from anywhere, but from here it's a local call. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so Israel, you know, Israel is God's people. And we are pro-Israel because God is pro-Israel. Can I get an amen to that? And we're not unashamed of that. And if our country turns its back on Israel, we're going to have a problem. Amen? So guys, God blesses those who bless Israel and curses those who curse Israel. But guys, we can have hope no matter what's going on around us because our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in our bank account. Our hope is not in our MRI. Our hope is not in, you know, whatever those things are that are in our life that are real things that we deal with. Our hope is in Christ. Amen. And the good news is he's never changing. And he loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. And he proved it on the cross. Let's pick up there in verse 13. Looking at, again, laying hold, spiritual mature believers, laying hold of the hope and promises that we have in Jesus. Look at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Now, I love this. Here's what would happen when people would make a vow. They would make the vow in the name of Almighty God. They'd make the vow in the name of someone greater than themselves. So they would say, well, before this, you know, when we make a vow, when we get married, we're making a vow before God. And we make that vow, we're making this covenant with God that we're going to be faithful to the vows that we make. Well, when God made a vow with Abraham, there's no one greater than him. Can I get an amen to that? So he made a vow unto himself. So when he makes a promise, he makes a promise based on who he is. And we can trust in that. So God's promised Abraham to bless him to multiply his descendants as the stars of the heavens, that the Messiah would come uh, through his lineage. Uh, These were challenges to these promises. There were very big challenges. Think about this. Can you imagine if someone comes to you at 75 and you think you're you're not going to have children, you're way past giving birth, having children, your wife's your age, and God says, well, not only are you going to have children, but they're going to number the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Oh, and by the way, through your line, the Messiah is going to come. Well, guess what? He didn't give him a child for 25 more years after that. Can you, so you are, you are already old. Sarah said of her husband, and he's as good as dead. That's how she described him. So, so he wait, they had to wait 25 more years after God made a promise that already seemed impossible at 75. He fulfilled it at 100. But we know that because... He didn't fully trust God's promise enough. They took a shortcut. Guys, remember what happened while he was waiting? His wife said, hey, why don't you go sleep with my maidservant, Hagar? Maybe we're supposed to get the baby that way. Now, God didn't tell them that. And that was their own plan. And when Sarah tells her husband, go sleep with the young hottie over there, he says, okay. (laughs) Well, Hagar has a son named Ishmael. Do you know what's going on in the Middle East right now? It's still Isaac and Ishmael. Nothing has changed. Amen? Guys, we need to learn to wait upon the promises of God and not come up with a better alternative thinking we know better than God. Can I get an amen to that? And it's hard to be patient. It's hard to wait upon the Lord. But when we do it our own way, the consequences can be great. And here we are thousands of years in the future. And the consequences remain as Ishmael and Isaac, their descendants are still fighting in Israel. He could swear by no one greater. 
He swore by himself. Again, he swore oaths by the one who is greater, helps you keep the oath, the accountability, and there's no one greater than our God. Amen? No one greater. Verse 14. And it says there, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. So surely it speaks of the complete certainty of his blessing. God's promise to Abraham was sealed with an oath of certainty. He's telling him, I'm telling you this is going to happen. Here's the great news. When you read the Bible and God gives us a promise, he's faithful to it every single time. Can I get an amen? He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't look in another direction. He doesn't come up with a new plan. He's faithful to his word and to his promises. So you know what that means? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Praise God. That's a promise in his word. Can I get an amen? Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a promise of God. So when you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open them up in glory. That's a promise we have. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, see all the promises that he's coming back, the promise that he's going to deliver the church before the tribulation, all the promises that have been fulfilled and the promises that are yet to be fulfilled, we know will be fulfilled because God is the word. Amen. And he gives us the word and he is faithful to his word and we need to learn to trust him. Again, we get impatient. We want things to change right now. And we need to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. By the way, God looks at your situation way different than you do. Did you know that? He's, you know, he's far more concerned about eternity. Amen? He's far more concerned about the long-term effect of the choices that we make than us and the immediate desire that we have. If you're lonely, you might get into a relationship you shouldn't get into. If you're struggling financially, you might do something... Uh, out of bounds, that isn't honoring to the Lord. We can go down the list of all these temptations that take place, and almost always those temptations are to get us to compromise our faith. And we need to learn to trust in God and his promises, verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. That's the part we don't like. After he patiently endured, Abraham waited for God's timing to fulfill his promise, and again, Isaac wasn't born for 25 years. We know that he was impatient for a time, but God's plan came in God's time. We pray in our time, God answers in his time, and his timing's always perfect, amen? When we respond by faith, we trust God's promises. He always comes through. His timing, his way is always best. The part we don't, the answer we don't like, the answer we like least to prayer. We, we prefer no to wait. Can I get an amen to that? Yes or no. Those are easy. Okay, done deal. Wait. Oh, I don't like that. But no, we need to wait upon the Lord. We need to trust in the Lord. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, faith is trusting God when it hasn't happened yet, that it's going to happen. Amen? And we need to trust that in the Lord and his sovereignty. Trust him. Persevere, and he will be faithful. As we persevere, the enemy will try to get us to compromise. Because that's what he wants us to do, to tempt us to go another way. And that's how we get Hagar. Uh, patiently endured in the original language means to be of long spirit, not of a loose heart. I like that. To be of a long spirit, not of a loose heart. To, to be spiritually minded, not be moved by our emotions. To persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. To be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. To be mild and slow when avenging. See, that's 
Patiently enduring is not reaching out and getting vengeance, but leaving vengeance to the Lord. That can be hard. Amen. Someone mistreats you. I'll tell you, they can mistreat me. I'm, I've got, I'm pretty easy going. Mistreat my kids. We got another, we got another problem. Mistreat my wife. Oh Lord, help me. Can I get an amen to that? And there's a reality that, you know, that's when you really have to say, oh God, please show up. I shared this on Thursday. I saw this little snippet somebody put online and I thought it was so true. It said, a pastor needs to have the mind of a theologian, the heart of a child, and the skin of a rhinoceros. And I thought, amen, that is so true. You got to be unoffendable because if you're offended easily, you will not last. Can I get an amen to that? And you just say, well, it doesn't matter. It's all good. But, but the vengeance and that heart, that impatience will come when somebody else you love is hurting. Because that's when we really have a hard time not stepping up and getting in the way. We need to learn, learn to trust God. But notice it says he obtained. Again, the word there literally means to hit the mark. I love that. Because he patiently waited, he hit the mark. Because he wait, patiently waited, even though he blew it along the way, but he patiently waited in the end, he, God brought about what God wanted to bring about. Is God bringing about in your life what he desires to bring about? Are you been so impatient that you've got away from what God had for you? Are you so focused on other things you're missing on God's plan for your life? Guys, let's not settle, let's not settle for less than God's highest. Can I get an amen to that? That should be our heart, to walk in the center of his will and to serve God faithfully. Lord, help us to patiently endure and again, wait for your highest. Verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater, an oath for confirmation is, is for them an end to all dispute. When they would make an oath and they would swear by someone greater, the argument stopped. So what would happen is they would say, I, I make a vow before Almighty God. And when they did that, game over. Because they knew once they made that vow, then they were accountable to that person. They could make the vow, you know, based on somebody in authority in their village or whatever, but they were making the vow. And if you make the vow before God, what you're saying is, I've committed this to God. Well, let God deal with them then. Amen? And you can, and it said the dispute would end, the arguing would end, the debate would end. I make this vow before Almighty God. I put it in His hands. You know, the Bible says that God said that salvation is in his son. Why are you still disputing and being tempted to go back to works, this workspace religion? See, the context here is this disputes going on between born-again Christians and some of their fellow, you know, their fellow, their friends and family who are being drawn to go back into Judaism and go back to the sacrifices and to drag lambs in on Sunday and do all those things. And when they're being drawn away like that, he's saying, look, when we've made the vow before God, the dispute's over. And why would you want to return to the shadow of the one who has come? The thing that was pointing to the one who is coming, why would you want to point to, why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to miss out on the fulfillment on Jesus Christ on something less than what you can have in him, verse 17 and 18. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of hope set before us. Immutable of his counsel. It's fixed, it's unchanging in its purpose, and God's plans never change. And again, if God says it, we can trust it. We do not pray to change God's mind, we pray to change our hearts. Amen? God never changes his mind because he's God and he knows everything. Can I get an amen to that? So when we're praying, we're not trying to get 
our will done on earth, but his will done in heaven. Can I get an amen? Or his will done here too. We're seeking God's will, not our will. And I think we pray amiss because we come to God and start giving him a laundry list of stuff he needs to do. Well, God, here's what you need to do. That coworker of mine, get them fired to get them out of the building. Got to get them out of the building. They're bad news. Get them out. Hey, God, you know what thing happened? Just do, break that guy in pieces, Lord. He needs it. And we start doing this thing. We're giving God this list. And by the way, I'm up for that promotion. If you love me, you'll give it to me. Anybody ever prayed like that? And we put conditions on, on our relationship with the Lord. Aren't you glad that there are no conditions on his love for us? Because if there were, we'd all fail. Amen? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows us best. He loves us most. See the immutability there, that, which means it's unchanging. It's fixed, unchanging. God's plan never changes. God says that we can trust it now and forever. And he confirmed it by an oath. God promised. And he confirmed it by an oath. It's impossible for God to lie. He's provided himself as our refuge. I love that word refuge. Whenever I see it in the Bible, whenever I see refuge, fled for refuge. If you guys were here when we were going through Numbers, Numbers 35, when they came into the land of promise, one of the things God placed were cities of refuge throughout the land of promise. And this is before there were courts and things like that that would usually meet in the village square. But each, each family had an avenger, if you will. And so what would happen is if somebody killed someone in your family, that person that was part of that family would go out and, and bring justice. But what if there was something done on accident? And the example used in the Bible is if two men are out working in the field and he's swinging his axe and the head of the axe comes off and hits his friend and kills him. Well, in those days, they didn't really have attorneys and court. So what would they do? And so these cities of refuge was a place that they could run and find safety. And so... The cities of refuge, there was always a city of refuge, no matter where you were in Israel, that was free of having to go over a hill or go a great distance. They were always close enough where you could run there because you knew if the avenger or the family's avenger came to you first, he could kill you rightfully because you killed someone in his family. So they would run to these cities of refuge. Now, what was amazing about the cities of refuge, you were, allowed, you were safe and you were unable to be harmed as long as you stayed in the city of refuge. And you know how long he had to stay there? Till the king of that city died. Okay? So if the king was, if you, if you got there and went, how old are you, bro? 12? Oh, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, that's it. <laughs> Go to the city of refuge. Is there another one close by? The dude's 90 down the road. Maybe I can get to that one. But the point is, you had to stay there because your refuge was found in God's promise and the safety that came from the king. Now, I love this because Jesus is our refuge. And guess what? We were safe, we were safe with him until he died, and after he died, we were even more safe. Can I get an amen to that? Because see, Jesus died on the cross and paid the price. See, that all the cities of refuge were always pointing the one to whom we would find refuge in. Let me give you some, some things that are uh, between Jesus and the cities of refuge that are the same. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge were within easy reach of the needy person. There were of no use unless someone could reach them easily. Jesus is not hiding. Can I get an amen to that? Salvation is not difficult. It was difficult for him. It's easy for us. Can I get an amen to that? He's offered salvation universally. You can accept it individually. You can give your life to the Lord anywhere at any time. 
He's accessible, like the cities of refuge. Jesus and the city of refuge are open to all. You know, it's interesting. Even though they were in the land of promise, even a foreigner could run to the city of refuge. It didn't have to be one of the children of Israel. Anybody could run to the city of refuge. Isn't it good to know that anyone, whosoever, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Amen? And we're all whosoever's, and praise God for that. They would turn no one away from the place of refuge in time of need. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge became a place where the one in need would live. You don't just come to the city of refuge and look around. Can I get an amen? I tried Jesus, and it just didn't work out. That's not how it works, bro. We don't try Jesus, amen? We surrender our lives fully to Jesus, amen? becomes the Lord of our life. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He writes our name in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's the God that we serve. We don't try Jesus. We surrender our lives to Jesus. And he lives in us. His Holy Spirit lives in us until we draw our last breath on heaven and earth and we wake up in heaven. Can I get an amen? amen? So we don't try him. We're fully, he's fully invested in us. Amen? Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are the only alternative for the one in need. It's the only place they could go. There was no other place. There was not a, a Muslim city of refuge. There was not a Buddhist city of refuge or a Hindu city of refuge. There was the city of refuge. And guys, there's no other refuge. There's no other hope. There's no other place. There's no other way. It's all Jesus. Can I get an amen? It all points to the Lord. With Jesus in the cities of refuge, full freedom comes with the death Again, uh, well, actually, it's the death of the high priest. I misspoke when I said the king, because Jesus is the king and the priest. We're going to see that in the next verse in the next verses. He's the king and the priest. So when the priest died, they were set free. Well, our high priest died on the cross, and we've been set free from sin and death. Amen? Amen. And then there's a critical, there's a crucial distinction between Jesus and the cities of refuge. The cities of refuge only help the innocent. Because if you were a murderer, they could still put you on trial and drag you out of the city of refuge and put you to death. It was for those where it was an accident, which is where you get a manslayer. It's where you get turned for manslaughter. It's from the Bible. But the cities of refuge only help the innocent, but all the guilty come to Jesus. Can I get an amen? Everyone that comes to Jesus is guilty. There aren't any innocent. So our hope and our security, our refuge is Jesus. It's not rituals. It's not religion. It's not dragging lambs in. It's not fulfilling the feast. Again, remember the context. These people are being you know, drawn back into Judaism, drawn back into the old covenant. And he's letting them know your refuge is in Christ. It's not in the temple. It's in Christ. It's not, in the, it's not in the Passover feast. It's in Christ. It's not in sacrificing lambs. It's in Christ. Not religion, not rituals, not good works. Again, and God gave Abraham an oath, it says there. You know, he made a promise to him. He made a promise to Abraham. And when he makes a promise to us, as he did, he sent his son, uh, the one who is the only path to salvation. He gave us the unchanging promise of eternal life. By the way, here's the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts God gave us. You ready? Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians that we're uh, you know, blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, assured, sealed. And the word sealed there is like a down payment. So the Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven. So when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, it's ownership papers that you belong to the Lord. And once he comes in, he's not leaving. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we have the promise of eternal life. We have the down payment on heaven and the person of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And guys, our response is to lay a hold of the hope set before us. How do we do that? We run to Jesus because he's our refuge. Amen. When you're having a tough time, run to Jesus. Don't run to the world. 
Amen? Don't run to the worldly counselor. Don't, don't run, run to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Seek after him. Fall at his feet. He's a faithful God. Last two verses. It says there, the hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence beyond the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to talk about Melchizedek in chapter 7, but salvation is the anchor for the soul. It's the foundation in the midst of the storm. Uh, I think I told you, you know, I had a lot of stuff happen in my family in one month, and I had coworkers on my new sales team call me, and they're all saying, how do you still have so much joy? I don't get it. You know, I can't, you've had more difficulty in a month than I've had in 10 years. And you still, I said, because God is still on the throne and God is still faithful. And my mom closed her eyes on earth and opened them up in glory. And God didn't allow me to die when I had COVID because God's not done with me yet. Can I get an amen to that? And if he wants me to go home, you can't threaten me with heaven. Guys, the eternal perspective takes away all the, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the worry, because we know who's in control, and we know that he knows what's best for us, and he's faithful to his promises. Can I get an amen to that? And guys, that should just bring peace. It should bring peace and joy. We're sure. He's, he's the anchor of our souls. Aren't you glad we're anchored by Jesus, not by good works? If you're anchored by good works, you're like, am I anchored? I think the anchor came up. I got to put that back down. How am I doing today? Hey, look, I'm a straight shooter. I'm a shocker. But here's the thing. The Catholic Church, you got menial sins, venial sins. Oh, oh, you got a mortal sin. Oh, I don't know, but I don't think you're saved anymore. But now you got to try to get back. Now you Can you imagine? Guys, I'm so glad it's not. I, I don't, I'm glad I don't have to say, I hope I'm going to heaven. What time is it? Am I going? Right? Amen. I'm glad that, that salvation is a no-so. Amen? That heaven is a no-so. Because we're anchored to Jesus, not our good works. We're not anchored to religion. We're not anchored to the temple. We're not anchored to a man-made sacrifice. We're not anchored to anything we do. We're anchored to what he has done. And that anchor's not going anywhere. Can I get an amen to that? And there's a joy and a peace that comes from that. We're anchored to Jesus. And you know what that means? We'll survive every storm. Because it doesn't matter how much the wind blows, we're anchored to Jesus. It doesn't matter how big the waves get, we're anchored to Jesus. No matter what, if you're anchored to Jesus, you're not going anywhere. Can I get an amen to that? And there's such peace in that. The Old Testament priests only could go, as speaking here of the forerunners, they would go in behind the veil, but they could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. And it would only be the high priest. And he'd usually get to do it once in his lifetime. And they would take the blood of the lamb and they'd go through the holy place and into the holy of holies, through the veil, and they would sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the ark, which is a picture again of the resurrection, the angels on each side and on the mercy seat. And they would sprinkle the blood and it was on the day of atonement. He'd, he makes, he'd make that atonement one day for everyone, but he had to make a sacrifice for himself before he could even go in because he himself was the center in need of a savior. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn. And it's not one day a year for one man. It's all of us can come every moment of every day, anytime, anywhere, that through Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father. Praise God. Amen. So we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And praise God that we can enter into his presence anywhere and anytime. And you are struggling. Let me tell you right now, you are struggling if you're not spending enough time in his presence. One of the greatest ways we, we, we spend time in God's presence is in prayer. 
You know what prayer does? It brings peace to every situation. You know what prayer does? It takes our eyes off the temptation and puts our eyes back on Jesus. You know what prayer does? It takes our eyes off the trials of life and gets our eyes back on Jesus. Amen? You know what prayer does? It makes us not worry about the things that are passing away, and it gives us an eternal focus and passion in all that we do. Guys, so it's prayer, but it's also the Word. Every time I open up the Bible, God speaks to me, and God speaks to you. And what's amazing about it is people are struggling, and here's a question I ask often when people are going through a hard time. How's your prayer life? Oh, I don't have time to pray. Well, you got time to call me. You got time to pray. Can I get an amen to that? I don't have time to pray. You, need to, you got some priorities. You need to change. Amen? How's your time in the Word? Well, I don't know. I don't really mind. Okay. So you don't talk to God, and you don't let Him talk to you, and you wonder why your life's a mess. Can I get an amen? Pastor Chuck's second in command. I'm very blocking on his name right now. Someone's going to remember it. Tell me. What is it? Romaine. Romaine. There it is. Pastor Romaine used to bring people in for counseling, and he would look at them in the eye and say, before we get started, how's your prayer life? Oh, not very good. How's your time in the Word? How's your daily devotion? Go do that and then come back. <laughs> Literally, kick them out. Go do that. Because if, if you're not talking to God, talking to me is a waste of time. Can I get an end to that? So we're anchored to Jesus, guys. He's the hope. He's the one that we hold on to. And again, the priest can only go into the model, you know, into the model of, of heaven, which was the temple or the tabernacle, whatever time you may be, could only go alone. They could bring no one else. Jesus is not the model of heaven, but heaven, himself, heaven itself. We bring all to the one who we will follow. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, what you have in Jesus, nothing else compares. He's saying, look, whatever you think you're going to go back and get in the temple again, whatever you think you're going to go get going back to the old covenant, nothing is better than Jesus. Amen? Nothing is better than Jesus. We have people walking away from Jesus right now. Here's what I would say. They never knew him. Can I get an amen to that? Because if you know Jesus, there's no way in the world you're going to walk. You may have times when you're not as close to him as you should be. But guys, he's the only hope we have. Don't be drawn away to that which is empty, something that cannot compare to Jesus. Lay hold of the hope and the promise that you have in him. Amen? And I'll tell you what. He's the prince of peace and he brings peace to every circumstance. Now, at the end of that, he says there, according to the order of Melchizedek. Who is this guy? So the priesthood in the old covenant was they were all related to Aaron, the high priest. They were all Levites. Now, that was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I want to say this. All Levites, not all Levites were priests, but all priests were Levites. Okay? Melchizedek is not a Levite, and yet he's a priest. We're going to learn a little bit about this guy. And it says here that according to, to the order of Melchizedek, grab your outline, flip it over now. Let's look at chapter 7. So we won't get through all this today, so don't panic. But Jesus is better. We've been talking about this, and he's better than the high priest. And in chapter 12, 7, we're going to see 12 reasons why Jesus is better than the old covenant priests or the Levitical priests, however you want to term them. Number one, again, according to the order of Melchizedek, Jesus is both king and priest. Do you know that no one else could be king and priest? You had king and prophet, like King David. Uh, you had people that were, uh, you know, maybe a priest and a prophet, but you never had someone that was king and priest. Is not allowed. Whenever the king tried to be the priest, we'll talk about that. That didn't turn out too well. Jesus is without beginning or end. 
We're going to see in uh, Melchizedek has no genealogy, has no parents listed. Jesus always has been and always will be. That's not true of the priests because they would die. They were born. They would die and have to be replaced. Jesus did the blessing. See, when the priests came, they would have to make the vow, you know, looking upward. Well, Jesus, it's the one who is greater blesses the one who is lesser. And Jesus did the blessing. Jesus received tithes. Melchizedek received tithes. I'm giving it away that I believe that's Jesus. But here's the point. He received worship. He received praise. He received tithes. Whenever you did that to an angel, what would they do? Get up. What if you did that to one of the apostles? Don't do that. Melchizedek's going to receive it. And the reason why is I believe that's Jesus. Jesus is our great high priest forever. He doesn't ever retire. Can I get an amen to that? The Levitical priesthood was temporary. They were constantly being replaced. Jesus is the priest forever. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The law can't make you perfect, but Jesus can. See, the old covenant cannot, it was pointing to the one who would save you. And it was the calling in the old covenant to be faithful to those things uh, until Jesus came. So it was an act of obedience to make those sacrifices because they needed to recognize that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness for sin. To see that the cost was heavy for the forgiveness of sin. And all the, rich, all the things that they went through were all pointing to Jesus. But once Jesus came, those were needed no more. And those couldn't save you. They could only point you to the one who would. Amen? The law can't make you perfect, but Jesus can. Jesus is our guarantee of a better covenant. We'll see that probably next week. Jesus doesn't need a replacement. Jesus is holy. Jesus does not have to make sacrifice for his own sins. All the priests, as I said, they have to sacrifice for themselves first before they could sacrifice for anyone else. And Jesus paid for our sin once and for all. What do he say on the cross? It is finished. Amen? So let's begin there in verse 1 of Hebrews 7. We'll go until we run out of time and then we'll stop. Look what it says there in verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. He's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. And the first time is when the, this actual person appears in history. A group of kings had invaded the land of Canaan, and they took captive the people of the city of Sodom, including Abraham, Abraham's nephew Lot. Abraham mounted his own army, using his servants, and pursued these kings, beating them in battle, releasing all the captives. And then Melchizedek, Melchizedek appeared. It's in Genesis 14, verse 18 through 20. Here's what it says. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, He was a priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered you from your enemies by your hand, and he gave him tithes of all. So first of all, Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and he's also referred to as the king of righteousness. Well, Salem, is that word means peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Salem is also believed to be Jerusalem. It means peace. So he's the, we know the word of God tells us that Jesus is the, he's a God of righteousness and he's a prince of peace. Can I get an amen to that? So both of these things are, that can be attributed to our savior. He brings bread and wine. In our case, it'd be bread and grape juice. Here's, here's a picture of the cross back in Genesis 14. 
communion, if you will, right? The, the body broken for us and the shed blood of our Savior upon Calvary. So he, he blessed Abraham, he received tithes. Again, body broken, redeeming shed blood. And as priests, intercessors, he blessed Abraham on God's part and blessed God on Abraham's part. Here's what happens. That's what a priest does. The priests in those days would represent God to the people or represent the people to God. There needed to be an intermediary between sinful man and holy God. And so the priest was placed in that position where he would, be, he would come with the sacrifice and approach God on behalf of the people, and then he would minister to the people on behalf of God. Well, guess what? Jesus took care of all of that. Can I get an amen? Because now we don't run to a priest. We don't need priests anymore. Can I get an amen to that? Right? Because who is the, who's the one intermediary between man and God? It's Jesus Christ. Who's seated at the right hand of the Father? It's Jesus Christ. Who do we confess our sins to? Jesus Christ. Who forgives our sins? Jesus Christ. And he's not going to tell you to pray any Hail Marys either. Can I get an amen to that? Why? Because we come to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the price was paid on the cross. And Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And when they tell you you've got to do this and this and this to be forgiven, we're adding to the cross of Calvary. Amen? We're making Jesus a liar. He says, paid in full. He received tithes, tenth of the spoils and all possessions. Now look, if you've been coming to Calvary Chapel at all, we have never passed an offering here and we never will. Even our church in Santa Cruz got very, very large. We just put boxes at the back door and that's it. Why? We don't want people to feel, and there's nothing wrong with passing an offering. A lot of churches do it and I'm not saying they're wrong. But my heart has always been, God loves a cheerful giver. And, and if a plate's coming by, you're going to, oh, I don't put something in, I'll look like a heathen. I better do something here, right? <laughs> it better not be change either. I better put something in there. Fold your hand up so I don't see how much you put in. And that, that's just, you know, <laughs> the people who have done that are all laughing right now. But here's the reality. The reality is that we want to give from a cheerful heart. And so if we give from a cheerful heart, no one's going to twist your arm to do it. No one's going to, you know, we're, not going to, we're never going to have a thermometer on the wall with a fundraiser. We're not doing that. Because where God guides, God provides. Can I get an amen? amen? And by the way, I want to encourage you. This little church, we're on radio stations all over the place. And we get calls every week from people who are getting saved. Lives are being changed. People are excited about what God's doing. People are hungry for the things of God. Because this little church gives. Praise God. Amen. We give to Bayamba, we give to pregnancy centers, we, we give a lot of places. Why? And, and all the pastors have full-time jobs. What does that do? That frees us up to give more for ministry, amen? Now, I say all that to say that they gave tithes. Now, people will say, well, tithing's Old Testament, and that's only under the law. Well, guess what? He tithed before the law existed, because Abraham's before Moses. Can I get an amen to that? So what I'm just saying is they were tithing before Moses came along. And so they say, well, that's, a, that's the old covenant. Here's what I would say. Give to the Lord as much as you love him. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can I get an amen to that? And I'm not saying this because we, church is doing fine. I'm not asking for that at all. And if, you, and if you can't give with the right heart, do God a favor and keep it. Can I get an amen? God will provide. But let me just say this. When we give... And we can say this to all of us. We get an idea of what's important to us by looking at our checkbook. This is so not a Pastor Dave thing to talk about money, but here it is. Isn't that true, though? 
If you look at what you invest in, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? And the one thing that we give to that will outlast this life is to the kingdom of God. Amen? So it's giving is not a have to, it's a get to. And you know what's amazing to me? The tithing, God gives us 100% of what we have, then we give him 10% back and lets us keep 90. Maybe it should be the other way around. Can I get an amen? But all the, everything that we have belongs to the Lord. Can I get an amen? I'm driving God's car, living in God's house, wearing God's clothes. Can I get an amen? And if it all belongs to him, then I hold on to it lightly because it's not mine anyway. Amen? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Melchizedek received the tithe. He received a gift, an offering that was given to him by Abraham. And again, he would not just give that to anyone, the fact that he received it. The second Old Testament mention of Melchizedek is when David said that the Messiah would be the priest after the order of Melchizedek. It says that in Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not repent or change his mind. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the Messiah is not going to be after the order of Levi or the old covenant. He's going to be the order of Melchizedek. Because here was part of the argument that was taking place from the Jews that were wandering back, wanting to go back into the temple. Well, wait a minute. If Jesus is your say, he's, he's from the tribe of Judah. He's not a Levite, right? He's not, he's not a descendant of Aaron. So he can't be the high priest. Well, no, yes, he is the high priest. He's just not a high priest of the old covenant. He is the great high priest of the new covenant. Can I get an amen to that? And so it's even mentioned here in the Old Testament, pointing to the fact that the Messiah would come from a different place. Again, the word Hebrew there, king of Salem, uh, ancient name for Jerusalem means peace. Melchizedek was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And the order is subtle, but important um, because the only way we have peace is when we get right with God. Amen. There's no peace apart from the prince of peace. Peace is not the absence of war. It's right standing with the God who created you. Amen. And you can have peace in the middle of the greatest war if you're walking with him. Righteousness is the only true path to peace. People looking for peace in, you know, they're looking for peace in all kinds of things. Compromise, accumulation of wealth, the absence of difficulty, escaping reality, drugs, alcohol, whatever. There's all these things that people look for peace in. And they will never bring you peace. Because peace can only be given by the Prince of Peace. You'll only find it when you have a right standing before God. When you know the Lord, you can have peace in the greatest storm, in the greatest trial ever. Now, Jesus is both, fulfills both as he is both righteous and he is the source of peace. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So how do we become righteous? Through Jesus. How do we have peace? Through Jesus. It says in John 14, John said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, because he gives us peace, we need not be troubled, we need not be afraid, we need not be anxious, we need not be uptight, we need not be angry, we need not be worried. Why? Because Jesus gives us peace when we have a relationship with him. So Melchizedek is not only the king of righteousness and the king of peace, but notice what it says there. He is the priest of the most high God. So he is the priest of the most high God. 
Now, how can that be? Again, the Jew would ask. He's not a descendant of Aaron. Jewish law forbids any man to be both king and priest as well. It says in 2 Chronicles, there was a good man by the name of, of Uzziah, King Uzziah. You guys probably heard of him, or maybe you haven't. Read your Bible through in a year, you'll know all these names. Can I get an amen? We've got a yellow thing on the back table. <laughs> Make that a goal for this year. Can I get an amen? After being blessed by God, after ushering in revival... After expanding the borders of Israel, he said, I'm going into the temple to burn incense to the Lord. So here's what happened. God was blessing him as a king. So he took the role of a priest and said, I'm going to go into the temple, something only the priest is supposed to do, and burn incense to the Lord. Now, here we go, Bible scholars. What happened to Uzziah when he went in there? What happened? Got leprosy. God smote, smote him with leprosy. This was a godly man, but what did he do? He went in a place he wasn't supposed to go, and he was, not, he, he was the king, but he's not the priest, because only one could be the king and the priest, and that's Jesus. Amen? That's why no man could take both of those roles. Does that make sense? So King Uzziah went in. He was struck with leprosy. And again, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going in, and then, and then again, a man could be king and prophet like David, or priest and a prophet like Aaron, but he could not be king and a prophet. He went into the temple. He was smitten with leprosy. I think God got his attention. Can I get an amen? amen. Guess what? There was one other, King Saul. You guys remember King Saul? Get ready to fight the Philistines. He's getting impatient because the Philistine army is getting bigger and bigger. And he doesn't like it. And he's waiting for Samuel, who was the priest, to come and make sacrifice before they went into battle, because that's the order they did things in. They honored God, and then they went into battle. Now, if his eyes were on Jesus, it wouldn't matter how big the, the Philistine army was, because you plus God is the majority. Amen? But here's what we do. Well, the debt's getting bigger. Well, the trials are getting worse. Well, things are getting more difficult. And we don't wait upon the Lord, and we try to fix it ourselves. Well, King Saul did the same. King Saul saw the army of the Philistines growing. He panicked. And what did he do? He made the sacrifice. You know, right when he makes the sacrifice, he walks out of the tent and up walks Samuel. <laughs> you know, when we jump out, we always, we, sometimes we're right before God's going to show up. Can I get an amen? We need to wait upon the Lord. What did God do? He ripped the kingdom from him. You're no longer going to be king. Because you can't be king and priest. You tried to be a priest, so you're no longer the king. Guys, we need to put our rest and our hope in Jesus Christ. We don't want to ever take any of the roles that belong to him. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. He's the priest of the most high God, not priest of pagan idols. Uh, priesthood is evaluated by who you serve. So there's a lot of people that call themselves priests today. There's a lot of people that call themselves holy today. And it's only uh, as valuable as the one that we serve. It says there, he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. There's a reference to Genesis 14 after Abraham's battle. And notice it says he blessed him. He pronounced God's blessing upon him. That's something that the high priest could do. Verse 2, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So he gave him a tenth of all his possessions, all the spoils of war, Abraham tied to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was willing to receive it. And again, I want to say this. Tithing, that's between you and the Lord. By the way, let me make it really clear so you don't have to worry about it. I have no idea who gives to this church. 
And that's on purpose. I never count the offering. I don't look at it, and I never will. A lot of you just went, whoo. No, <laughs> just saying. Just saying. No wonder he still loves me. No, I'm just saying. But there are a lot of churches where, here's a temptation. If you know someone gives a lot of money, even if you don't want to, you can be tempted to, like, show them favor. Amen? And, and you know, we don't, we don't do that. And so we, I know the total numbers, so we know how to pay our bills and, you know, do ministries and things like that. But I never look at who gives what, and I never will, and someone else counts it, and the, the ties are never in my hands. I don't want to ever touch them. Touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. Can I get amen to that? And as a pastor, I, I have safeguards up for all of those. And so I don't know who gives what. Only God knows, and that's what you knew in the Lord. Amen? And God loves a cheerful giver. So you give as God calls you to give. By the way, People give here, and God blesses it. And there's a lot of ministry taking place because you guys, those of you who give are being faithful to give. And again, if you're new here, don't give. Hang on here for, for a while and find out if this is really your church. Kind of get him into that. We're, again, I'm on the opposite extreme of that. Where God guides, God provides. That's like Chuck 1-3 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. All these qualities in one man, especially one who was not a Levite, would be a challenge to the old covenant. Standards they were holding on to, standards they were being tempted by. And again, Melchizedek, at the very least, is a picture of Jesus. I personally believe it's Jesus. Look at verse 3. Look what it says there. So Jesus is both king and priest. Melchizedek says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, do you know any human beings that can qualify for any of that? It doesn't say, we didn't know who his dad was. It says he doesn't have a dad. Without mom, doesn't have a mom. Without genealogy, that means we have no way to track him back to any family. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, Who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? That's Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Then it also says there, but made like the Son of God. The Son of God. I love this. Remains a priest continually. Some have taken the position that this only means no recorded father, no recorded mother, no recorded genealogy. We don't know when his birthday is or when he died. Uh, again, you're free to believe all of that, but you're wrong. Can I get an amen? He is the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He's the prince of the most high God. He blesses others. He receives offerings. He has no father. He has no mother uh, without genealogy, uh, no earthly mother, no earthly father, without genealogy, no beginning of days, nor end of life. And again, to me, that is so clearly Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 8, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. When did that happen? Jesus, speaking of himself, said, your father Abraham saw my day when he saw it, he was glad. I'm wondering if that might be when he gave tithes to Melchizedek. Can I get an amen to that? Abraham saw my day. Now, some are saying because he had faith that I was coming in the future, and certainly it could apply to that. But he's saying he saw it and was glad. I love the Bible that rocks. Then Jesus said unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old. How hast that seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And he is the great I am. Amen? We're the 
woeful I wish or something, right? He's the great I am. He's the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God made like the Son of God. And again, some believe means to, to be similar to God, but no one else could have all these qualities and again, be only similar or made like the Son of God. Now, we hear this in other places in the Bible. Daniel chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they changed their names, they, you know, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, built a statue, an altar to himself and said, everybody must bow to it when the worship music plays. And everybody falls to their knees knowing if you don't bow, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And there stand these three Hebrew boys, I ain't going nowhere. I ain't bound to nobody but Jesus. Can I get an amen to the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Jesus hadn't come yet. But here's what's amazing is they bring him forth, a Nebuchadnezzar. And always, like I said, when I read the Bible, I have a movie running in my mind. And I see King Nebuchadnezzar with, with veins popping in his neck. That's just how I envision him and in his forehead right here. You know, because he comes forward, he basically challenges him again when the music plays. And if not, you know, and, it, and, it says, and then he says, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Like his eyes are bulging. Right? The neck is pulsating over here. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And, she, and they said, look, we're not bowing, bro. Pastor Day paraphrase. We're not bowing, bro. I don't care what you do. And God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. Who is the God delivering to my hands? They take the three young Jewish boys and they throw them in. Probably young men by then. They throw them into the fiery furnace. And if you know what happens, again, the way it kills, they would drop him in from the top and the fire was so hot. Heat it up seven times hot. How hot, hot does fire need to be? Heat it up seven times hot. He's trying to make a point. It kills the soldiers because it's so hot. And then they look in the side and the, the young Jewish boys who, young men, are no longer bound, but they're walking around and there's a fourth one in the likeness of the Son of God. In Daniel, 700 years before uh, Jesus came to earth. And you know what? They had to be called out of the fire. And I love this. The guy said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my... Come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Like in two minutes. <laughs> That's amazing, amen? You know what it shows you though? It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Can I get an amen to that? It's better to be in the greatest trial with the Lord than in the, have everything the world has to offer and not have him. So guys, we're the most blessed of all people. Can I get an amen to that? in the likeness of the Son of God. Again, it's Melchizedek, it's Jesus. In the fiery furnace, it's Jesus. When you see the angel Lord in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. He always has been. Can I get an amen? And he always will be. I love it. No one else could have all these qualities. And again, Jesus is the source of blessing in the battle to Abraham. He's the source of encouragement in the midst of our trials and difficulties. You want to be encouraged when you're struggling, get on your knees and spend some time with the Lord. You want to be strengthened in your walk, open up the word of God and read it. You want, someone said, I've never heard God speak out loud. I do all the time. I just walk around and read my Bible out loud. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I just read the Bible out loud. We get to hear God speak. Can I get an amen? I'm not God. I'm just, you know, but that's his word. Amen. Notice it says here he remains a priest continually. Jesus' priesthood continues today and will be for all eternity. Again, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Isn't it good to know when you're tempted, Jesus is praying for you? Isn't it good to know when you're going through trials, Jesus is praying for you? When you're struggling financially, Jesus is praying for you. When you got illness and issues, Jesus is praying for you. You know what he's praying for? As we pray for our nation, he prays for us. Praise God. Can I get an amen to that? 
It brings peace to every circumstance. So 12 reasons why Jesus is better than the Levitical priest. Number one, he is both king and priest. Number two, he is without beginning or end. Number three, he did the blessing. He's the, the one that from the position of the greater to the lesser. Look at verse four. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. The priesthood of Melchizedek was greater than the Aaronic Aaronic priesthood in that it blessed Abraham and received tithes from Abraham, and the Levites received tithes from Israel as a commandment. Abraham voluntarily gave tithes to Melchizedek. He just, when he met him, he just wanted to give it to him. And guys, again, we come to the Lord, giving should come from that same heart. It should not be given out of compulsion, out of legalism. It should not be so you can get stuff back. Can I get an amen to that? Plant your seed. No, don't be doing that. (laughs) Seed in the Bible is always the word of God. So you should plant the seed in your heart. It's the word of God. It's not money. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't give God a thousand, so he'll give us back 10 grand. That's not biblical. Amen. It's a bunch of nonsense. Don't fall into that trap. Give to the Lord because you love him and no other reason. And we know what? Has he already blessed you enough that we should give him everything? How about that? Well, if he would bless me. Died on the cross. Paid for your sin, snatched you out of hellfire, put his Holy Spirit inside of you, preparing a place for you in heaven. And when you close your eyes on earth, you can open them up in glory. What else does he need to do? Can I get an amen? What a great and awesome God we serve. But what the Lord would just give me the promotion at work. Guys, heaven's better than the promotion at work. Amen. Abraham, the father of the Jews, tied to Melchizedek, the inferior to the superior. Abraham recognized him as being greater than him. Father Abraham. Now remember, he's telling this story to the, these Jewish people that are wanting to run back to Judaism, and they don't revere anybody more than Abraham. I mean, it's Abraham and Moses. He's already said he's greater than Moses. Now he's saying he's greater than Abraham. So we don't revere men. We revere God. Amen? We praise God for godly men. People say, well, we need to stand on the shoulders of the saints that went before. And I'm going to stand on the shoulders of the Savior that died on the cross. Can I get an amen to that? Let's hang on to him. Let's put our faith in him. And this is in verse 5. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from people according to the law that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. He's blessing the one who had the promise of God. And the one who had the promise of God is viewing Uh, Melchizedek as being greater than him. He recognized and submitted to his authority. The result was both submission and the response was then blessing. Look what it says in verse seven. Now beyond all all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. So again, it's clear that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And Abraham is father Abraham, the father of faith, the father of all Jews. And Melchizedek is greater. And Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, okay? And so all this is being explained and to these people, again, first century Christians who are being tempted to go back. I have a close friend who was a Calvary Chapel pastor and he went, he went back to the Catholic church completely and he, he and I have conversations on the phone. And he'll tell me, yeah, I've gone back to the Holy Church. I said, bro, we are the Holy Church. Can I get an amen to that? I said, Help me out here. So if the Pope comes by, you kiss in his ring, calling him Holy Father? There's only one Holy Father, and he's in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? 
I'm not just, and I'm not, I'm not just picking on the because it's the Episcopal Church. I mean, we can pick on them all. Anytime we make the church more important than Jesus, it is becoming a cult. Can I get an amen to that? Now there are people within the, the those churches, some of those that are saved because they don't know better. Amen. And they love Jesus. But if you come into a place and the priests are elevated and they're up there and you're down here and, and there's a bunch of saints where you're kissing this and kissing that and tied into this and you pray to this saint and you pray to that saint, you know what we're doing? All of that takes your eyes off of Jesus. And anything that takes your eyes off of Jesus needs to be done away with. Can I get an amen to that? So I'm so thankful that we are the church. We don't put our faith in the church. We put our faith in Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Can I get an amen? We're married to Jesus. We're not, we're not as impressed with, you know, houses with stained glass as we are the Savior who came and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. Amen? Blessing is the greater position of authority upon the lesser. And he's making it clear here. Well, let's do two more verses. And then we'll finish. Verse 8 and 9. Look what it says. Point number, it says Jesus received tithes. Look at verse 4. But here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he is still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And I love how this is written out. Here's what he's saying. You know, the Levites, they're the priests who we tithe to. They gave tithes to Melchizedek because Abraham was their dad. Do you see that? that's what it's saying there? So even the Levites... We're tithing to Melchizedek. Now, guys, so either Melchizedek, some guy that just wandered out of the wilderness somewhere who didn't have a mom or a dad, and there was no earthly mom or dad who we don't know where he came from. We don't know what his genealogy is. And, he, and, it, and again, that's what some people believe. People that I, people I respect, other pastors I respect, believe that Melchizedek is a type or a picture of Jesus. I think it's Jesus. Amen? When he's described as the Alpha and the Omega, that's enough for me. With no beginning and no end. So the order of Melchizedek, he receives tithes. He lives, originally spoken of thousands of years earlier, yet he still lives. It says that there, that he received. And it says, whom are you, give, are you giving your gifts to support? Dead men or a living Savior? Amen? And the Jewish Christians were considering leaving the Savior to follow dead men. Melchizedek showed us he's greater than Abraham when he blessed Abraham, the lesser blessing the greater. Abraham accepted that Melchizedek was greater when he received the blessing, when he gave tithes to him. Even Levi, again, paid through Abraham because Levi was one of the sons of Abraham, descendants of Abraham. And Jewish Christians, tempted to go back after dead men, gave their lives and resources and service unto him instead of remaining faithful to the true and living God. We don't want to run back. Don't run back to religion when you already have a relationship. If you already know the Lord and you have a relationship with him, why would you run back to something that the old covenant was amazing. God used it. God created it. God commanded it. And it was always pointing to Jesus. But once he came, it was done away with. Amen. So in closing, our great high priest, Jesus is both king and priest. He's the beginning, he's without beginning or end, as is Melchizedek. He did the blessing. He receives the tithes. So hang on to this outline. We'll look at the rest of it next week. But the bottom line is, Jesus is better. 
Amen? And this whole book is about the supremacy of Christ. We're not of Calvary Chapel. We're not of the Catholic Church. We're not of the Presbyterian Church. We're of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're followers of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are better. You are the best. Nothing compares to you. No one before you, beside you, or after you. You're the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. And we are so blessed to be adopted into your family. We're so blessed to be the bride of Christ. We're so blessed that we have the promise of eternal life. We're so thankful that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us. We're so thankful for the promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We're so thankful we've read the rest of the Bible and we know in the end you win and we're on your side. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,